Hello and welcome to BioCentury This Week. I'm Simone Fishburn, Editor-in-Chief of BioCentury. I'm joined today by Selena Koch, Executive Editor, and Steve Usden, Washington Editor at BioCentury, to talk about some of the top news from last week. How small biotechs are planning to manage through the economic downturn caused by COVID-19, and the latest movements at FDA to provide regulatory clarity to companies. First, I'll mention a few other highlights from BioCentury's reporting from last week. While the capacity for testing in the US isn't where it needs to be, there's considerable activity among innovators. The latest addition to the landscape could be viral antigen tests, which could be used at the point of care to identify infected individuals before symptoms appear. On the vaccine front, companies are ramping up activity on manufacturing. Johnson & Johnson has partnered with Emergent Biosolutions to enable the pharma to meet its commitment to produce 1 billion doses of a vaccine. BioCentury's database contains more than 250 therapies and almost 80 vaccines in clinical or preclinical testing for COVID-19. This information and other coverage can be found at biocentury.com slash coronavirus. First, I want to turn to Selena to discuss how biotechs are managing through this crisis. The economic consequences are of course huge, but some companies are still managing to get financed or go public. We've had several new companies launched, and on Friday, cancer company Oric Pharmaceuticals posted a big gain after pricing an upsized IPO at the top of its range. So Selena, you wrote about a survey Biocat Century carried out with Stanford Bernstein. What kind of companies did the survey cover and what were the main take-home messages? One of the things I thought was really interesting about this particular survey was the, the profile of the respondents. We got over 100 companies and the population skewed towards small biotechs. It, it was a mixture of public and private and some big and some small, but 75% of the private companies had raised less than 50 million and the majority of those actually had raised less than 10 million. And of the public companies, 63% had raised less than, than 500 million. So it's skewed towards the smaller companies. And that's a population of companies we've been really interested in because they're the ones who tend to have less cash or more dependent on, say, a single clinical milestone. So they have some, sometimes some tougher choices to make. What are they doing? What strategies are they taking to manage their cash? I think the first thing that struck me in the data is that there was a very consistent pattern among several questions. And it seems that the majority of these companies are trying not to do equity deals or acquisitions um, or to sell assets. The vast majority of the respondents were trying to avoid all of those things, you know, because of the market downturn and the, and the plunge in valuations. They're taking multiple approaches. Selena. Obviously, valuations are going down, which is going to be a problem for some companies. What's top of mind for them and how are they taking strategies to manage through the crisis? So there was a very consistent pattern of results that emerged from a number of questions that we asked, which is that right now companies are taking measures to avoid having to do equity deals to be acquired or to sell assets, which is pretty interesting because there's a question out there, which is that given the market downturn and the fact that the big companies still do have a lot of cash, are these the right conditions for a buyer's market? And 
it seems that at least among these hundred plus companies, the answer is they don't really want to be selling right now and they don't think they have to. So do you think we're going to see a delay in IPOs? We asked about public and private financings in general. Over half, about 53% of companies said they're going to delay. When we asked about IPOs specifically, almost 60% of companies said they plan to delay a year or more. When we asked about plans to be acquired, the companies who said they hoped to be acquired within 18 months, with 67% of them said they're now going to delay a year year or more. So there were kind of delays all around. Let's talk a little bit about what they're doing inside companies to manage their cash. Do you see people taking salary cuts, letting people go? What's happening? Over 90%, I think closer to 95%. So they were planning to cut spending and most of them were cutting spending in multiple areas. So travel spend was obviously a big one, but program spend, staffing spend, paid consultants, and to a lesser extent, senior management salaries. So when we just zoomed in on the staffing part of it, I assumed before I did this, we did the survey that pretty much all companies are sitting there considering, do we have to do layoffs? Should we do furloughs? Should we cut bonuses? Like what, what should we do and when? I had no idea how many companies were actually doing those things already. And so what we found out was that about 19% of companies had already done some layoffs. A quarter had done furloughs. Another eight to 9% of companies were considering layoffs. Another 11 to 12% were considering furloughs. And over 11% were reducing either salaries or bonuses. Just one last thing on this. What do you see on the front of clinical trials and are people pushing them back? Are they suffering delays? What, what did you get there from the survey? So on the, the clinical trial front, we did see some optimism. Over 20% of companies were not expecting delayed milestones. And I think it was less than, less than 2%, around 2% only around 2% thought they'd have a delay of more than than a year. Everybody else was somewhere in between. That said, there's a lot of in between there. So the biggest group of companies, about 45 to 50%, said they were expecting a delay of around six months or so in a clinical milestone. On the research end of things, new projects are taking a hit. It was 51% of companies were delaying the start of new projects. You could see reduced outsourcing. Trial operations were delayed in about 43% of cases. So I I think one of the things that was interesting here is the pace of change. About a month ago, a lot of companies were telling BioCentury that they didn't think it was going to be such a huge effect, and we're already seeing companies start to change their activities. I want to switch gear a little bit now. One of the things we hear a lot from companies actually is that they want to know what regulators are thinking or doing. And Steve, you went straight to the top here and you spoke to the FDA Commissioner Stephen Hahn on Thursday. Let's actually just start with this and remember FDA is also an organization full of a lot of great staff. Have their staff been impacted by the virus? Are they still able to process regular applications and move forward programs for other diseases? Well, it's interesting. I, I asked Stephen Hahn about that, and I asked him also on a human level, how many people at FDA have been affected directly by, by COVID-19? How many of them are 
quarantined, how many of them have tested positive, have any been hospitalized. He wouldn't really give a direct answer on that other than to say that, of course, people have been affected personally and in taking care of loved ones. But he said that everybody is, is safe and sound. But he wouldn't give any other details. And he did say that operations are being affected by this. He said it would be inaccurate to say that everything's proceeding just as, as it should. He didn't give details on what's being delayed or how much things are being delayed. But the combination of, of diverting all the resources that they can to handle this crisis and the fact that people are working from home has got to slow things down. Steve, there's been a huge amount of discussion about chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine. And part of that is due, obviously, to the president's comments. What did Dr. Hahn say about those drugs and about the president's comments? So Hahn, he's in this very, very difficult position. It's really almost an untenable position where he's squeezed between, well, to to be blunt, he's squeezed between the truth and the president. And he doesn't want to he doesn't want to get on the wrong side of the president. He doesn't want to say things. He can't say things that aren't true. So it makes it very difficult uh, needle to thread there. What he did say about hydroxychloroquine and about chloroquine, he was very clear. He said they haven't been approved by FDA for use. Um, FDA has put out a, a warning and said that they shouldn't be used outside of a, a clinical trial. And he said that The reason for the emergency use authorization, because I challenged him on this, I said, why do you even need it? Because both of these drugs are approved. They could be used off-label. And he said that the reason they needed the EUA was so that they could import hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine from overseas. And presumably what he was talking about is that FDA is importing versions of these drugs that haven't been approved by the FDA, which is actually quite controversial because some of the sources that they're importing from have been slapped with warning letters from FDA and import restrictions prior to this because of shoddy manufacturing. Steve, though, to be clear, the compounds have been given emergency use authorization, EUA. There are plenty of trials out there right now, and some of those are going to read out soon. If they don't work, will the EUA be withdrawn? Yeah, so that's what I asked him. And he said, he said he was unequivocal about that. He said, you know, I said, if there's evidence that, they're, that these two drugs are not safe and are not effective for COVID-19, will you rescind the EUA? And he was unequivocally said, yes, they would rescind it. And he said that it was the same for any EUA that F- FDA has authorized in this crisis, that if there's, uh, the evidence comes out and suggests that the drugs or tests are not safe and effective, that the EUAs will be withdrawn. One more interesting thing that came up, Steve, is with vaccine testing and this idea of human challenge trials. Can you tell us what that means and if that actually is something FDA is open to? So the idea of the human challenge trial is that instead of giving the vaccine to people in places where the disease is prevalent and then measuring to see whether or not people become infected with it who have received the vaccine and comparing them presumably to a control arm. The idea is that you would vaccinate people and then you would expose them to the virus and you'd see whether or not they become infected. It's a very controversial idea, especially for a dangerous virus like this. And I asked him uh, whether that's something that FDA would contemplate. There are members of Congress and others who have suggested that FDA should authorize that. He said that FDA is open to it. Uh, He didn't really commit one way or the other, but he didn't rule it out. 
Steve, another area that's actually caused a lot of concern and is also quite controversial is the use of EUAs and the diagnostic tests. What did Dr. Hahn tell you about FDA's approach to how these can get validated and solving the actual problem that's going on? So I was really interested in his view on serological tests. These are the antibody tests that tell whether a person has been exposed to the virus in the past and mounted an antibody response and presumably would mean that they would have some immunity going forward. FDA has taken an, an unusual approach to that. And they've basically, they've told companies that since there isn't going to be a medical decision made based on these tests, that as long as they do their own validation, basically the companies submit to FDA and say, we validate these tests, that they can go on the market without any kind of prior review from FDA. That's created a tremendous amount of confusion in the marketplace. And I asked Dr. Hahn basically what the idea is. And he told me that it's okay as long as companies write on the label that the tests haven't been approved by the FDA. And he suggested that users of the tests would be able to get the information that they need from the labels or even that they could validate the tests themselves, which again, is a very unusual approach. It, it's one that I and, and other people have, have criticized for two reasons. One is that even though people aren't going to be making, physicians aren't going to be making medical decisions based on these tests, people are likely to make life or death decisions. They're going to decide whether they personally uh, are immune and they're going to make decisions that will affect whether or not they can spread the disease to, to other people based on these tests. So I think there's an increasing push for FDA to take a, a more rigorous approach to this. Okay, thank you for that. Well, we're obviously going to continue to follow both FDA and the business aspect of what's going on with COVID-19 and the economic crisis. I think we're out of time for today. To end this, I'd like to remind listeners that if they have investigational compounds for COVID-19, these can be submitted via Biocentury's portal to be included in the portal or to be considered for development by the large pharma consortium called COVID R&D. More details, again, are at biocentury.com slash coronavirus.